You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. We're in the Olivet Discourse of our Lord as He stands on the Mount of Olives with His disciples before Him and has a very close conversation with them pertaining things to come. And today marks a transition in uh, this discourse of our Lord as He seems to enter into a new subject matter. But we'll be in Matthew 24. I'll read in. Ver- I'll read at, uh, begin reading at verse 36. But concerning the day and or that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. For is where, for is where the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we want to be ready, as the text tells us, so make us ready. Prepare our hearts to be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. We pray, Father in heaven, that you'd help us to understand the word of God today, you'd sanctify us, that you'd save sinners, that those who have backslidden would, be coming, would, be, would come back to Jesus Christ, Father, those who have been ensnared and dragged um, down into uh, misery, the misery of sin. We pray that they would be brought to the renewing, sanctifying, and justifying grace of Christ once again. We pray, Father in heaven, that your people be more united for having been together, that we, our hearts would be full of joy for having learned of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be preeminent, that his spirit would guide the preaching and hearing of the word. In his name we pray, amen. So our text again is the Olivet Discourse. We're in the middle of it, and Jesus is teaching his disciples from the Mount of Olives Is he overlooks the city of Jerusalem and overlooks the temple in This really began at the beginning of chapter 24 when Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. And then as a follow-up to his prediction of the destruction of the temple, in chapter 24, verse 3, his disciples ask him a series of three questions. They ask him, when will these things be? So speaking of the destruction of the temple... What will be the sign of your coming, and, or the parousia, as the Greek word is, speaking of the second coming of the Lord Jesus, and the sign of the close of the age, and I believe that's in reference to the end of the Jewish age and the beginning of the messianic spread of the gospel across the world. The disciples of Jesus Christ seem to have jumbled these things up together because they assume that they will all happen at the same time. They couldn't imagine a world without the temple, and a world without the temple would be, in their minds at least, the end of the world. 
And so they associated it all together. And as this discourse progresses, he addresses each one of these subject matters individually. Jesus doesn't answer all the questions at once, in other words. He parses it out, and he answers them individually. Jesus, in verse 4 through 28, speaks of the events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And so he's prophesying that something terrible is on the horizon and terrible things are going to happen as that terrible event on the horizon comes. Verse 29 through 35, he speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem, even as he did at the beginning of the chapter, as he talked about the end of the temple, the destruction of the temple, and he picks that up again in verse 29 through 35, which leads to the end of this age that he's in and the beginning of the Messianic age. That was all to be fulfilled for the disciples. So the events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, the cataclysmic destruction of Jerusalem, and specifically the temple, was all to be fulfilled by, uh, during the lifetime of the disciples. They would watch it, and, or at least they would learn of it being fulfilled, and all of these things would be filled within that generation. Today, we move into a new section of this Olivet Discourse. And I believe that this section deals specifically with not the destruction of the temple, not the events leading up to the destruction of the temple, but the bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ in judgment on the very last day. So there is a marked switch in this discussion. And so we move from prophecy that was to be fulfilled in the lifetime of the disciples within that generation, but prophecy that has now been fulfilled. We look back and we say, oh, that was fulfilled by 70 AD. And now we move to prophecy that is still to be fulfilled for us. So the first half, it was what was to come for the disciples and what has come for us. And the second half is what still is to come. So there's a marked transition in the text, and now he progresses to discuss what is to come and the end of the world with the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ bodily. Today we move into a new section that discusses the parousia of Christ. I, I refer to the word parousia, that's the Greek word, because I think it's an important word, and as best as I can tell, it always, when in reference to Christ, refers to his bodily coming, his second coming in the New Testament. But there's other words from the Greek language that translate into English is coming. And so sometimes, any of you who know more than one language know that sometimes things can be lost in translation if you don't slow it down and you're not careful. And so the word Parousia from Greek, which refers to the second coming of Christ, his bodily presence, um, appears again uh, in this discussion, even as it appeared in verse 3. So today we move into a new section, a distinct event from the destruction of Jerusalem. And I really have one point today. It'll be divided up into a few subsections, but there's really one point. And it is a point of urgency, and it is a command. It's be ready. 
So I have to ask you a question. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready? Because the commandment is be ready. That's emphasized again and again in this text of Scripture and here forward in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus just pounds this nail. Be ready. Be ready. Stay awake. Be ready. The Son of Man is going to return bodily to earth. Judgment will come with him. And all of this climaxes in verse 25 with the glorious display and prophecy of Christ's final judgment on the last day, which coincides with this particular return. Be ready. You don't know when he will come. Be ready. He will come like the flood. Be ready. He will separate and divide humanity. And be ready because he will come like a thief in the night. But before I get into those points and really this one main point of be ready, I want to show you textually why this marks a new section. There's a number of indicators within the text of Scripture itself that divide what we're dealing with today with what has been dealt with already in this first half, in the first half of Matthew 24. And so there is a marked division. If you slow it down and if you take the time to digest what's being said and you thoughtfully process it, there is a marked division in the text whereby it's fairly clear that he's moving on to a new topic. So, for example, in verse 36, it begins with these words, but concerning, but concerning. This phrase is used in the Bible to mark off new sections. Um, the Apostle Paul, in fact, does this in 1 Corinthians regularly, and Jesus has done it at least one other time in the Gospel of Matthew. But this is a marked transition. It is used to mark off a new section in discourse or in dialogue. The word concerning, actually, verse 36, but concerning, the word concerning is actually sometimes used to pick up on earlier subject matters. And so there was a subject matter that was discussed. That subject matter is dropped for a season, and then that subject matter is picked up again. And so the word concerning there is, can be used and has been used in Matthew to do just that, to pick up on a subject matter that was previously discussed, then dropped, and now here we are revisiting it again. So I'm just showing you what marks this section off as distinct. The word but is used in verse 36, and it is contrasting it with what has previously occurred. So that is a, a word that contrasts with what has already happened. And so something has been discussed, and now we have something that is going to be discussed that is contrasting with it. And so if you look at verse 34, the section ended, the last section ended, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So it ends with this generation not passing away until all these things take place. So these are things that will take place. But concerning that day. 
Okay, so it seems to be that there's a new day that's being discussed. In fact, in the previous section, if you look at verses 19, verse 22, and verse 29, it refers to those days. Those days. Okay, so verse 19, and as for women, all ask for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Well, this is repeated. This concept of those days is repeated at least three times in the previous section. Well, in this section, it is no longer those days, it's that day. It's that day. The only time he uses those days in today's text is when he refers to those days of Noah, plural. But this is, but when he's talking about what's to come, the prophecy of what's to come, it's, it's in reference to that day as opposed to those days. So it's a contrast between that day and those days, or those days and that day. And that day, by the way, the phrase that day is used in Matthew at other points to refer to the final judgment, the day of final judgment, when Jesus returns to bring about judgment upon the earth. It's interesting also that as you look at the last section, as I contrast the two and show you how I think there is a, there is a marked distinction between the two texts in this discourse, it's interesting to note that Jesus has some very clear details at hand that he is willing to share with his disciples about what the events look like coming up to the destruction of Jerusalem those days. There's some very clear details. But when he talks about that day, he says in our text today that he doesn't know the date. The Son of Man doesn't know the date. So it seems there's at least a distinction in regard to that. Christ spoke previously of judgment on earth, and here he speaks of judgment in eternity. So we have now references to eternity that are going to come up in this section of Scripture, whereas before it was judgment on earth, people fleeing from their homes, people fleeing from Judea, people seeking refuge in the mountains, and great or terrible things that are going to happen with false prophets and earthquakes and uh, these awful events, whereas this section, there's a marked transition in it in that it is dealing specifically with the final judgment in the lake of fire, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, uh, the eternity that the Lord has prepared for the wicked and the eternity of bliss that God has prepared for the righteous. In the previous section, there's time to flee. In this section, everything is going to happen so unexpectedly that we're to be on constant alert. So you're on almost red alert always for that day that's to come, whereas in the previous section there was time to flee before this city of Jerusalem was destroyed. They were to flee right away, but they were looking for the sign to flee, but this is talking about the imminent judgment. And once judgment came upon Jerusalem, you're fair to assume that disciples would have fled Jerusalem, um, whereas this is talking about a judgment that is worldwide um, in our text of today and what is to come. The previous events describe stressful times. You know, it's going to be difficult for women who are pregnant or who are nursing. You're not going to have time to go back for your cloak. Whereas this describes somewhat normal times. People will be eating and drinking and getting married and being given in marriage. It's the normalcy of life and the routine of life that 
makes it so important that as things are peaceful and as things are normal, that we're on high alert that the Lord Jesus could return any moment. It's that normalcy that should keep us on our toes. It's easy to be on your toes, or more easy to be on your toes when the world and the events of the world are keeping you on edge. But when you settle into your routine and you have plenty of food and there's plenty of festivities, then it's easy to let your guard down. And what we see in the text today is that it'll just be a time of normalcy when Christ returns, unexpected when this happens. The previous is full of time references and then, this is then, then, immediately, then, then, then. This text isn't as full of that. And the previous events talk about things that you will see, the disciples will see with their very own eyes. But this is mainly you should be ready. You should be ready. And the previous, as I look at the contrast, the marked distinction between these two sections, so I give you some reasons why I think there is, or I think it's very clear there's a marked distinction, so I give you some reasons why. The previous didn't mention the parousia of Christ, the second coming of Christ, other than to contrast it with the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem in verse 27. But this section speaks specifically to what will happen at that second coming, the parousia of God or of Christ. So there's some, there's some distinctions between the two. He, he seems to be talking about one thing and then he moves on to another thing with this very clear transition in verse 36, but concerning. Now let's talk about this, guys. We're going to talk about the parousia, the second coming. This section speaks specifically to that parousia. There's a clear subject change from events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, and now we're no longer talking about the events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, no longer talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ when he returns bodily to judge the world. And I think his uh, application, as we look at this, if Jesus was accurate in his prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, which he was, then we ought to be on high alert because he will be accurate in his prophecy of his second coming. If he was right then, he'll be right again. He has proven credibility. He's got a perfect track record. So the emphasis to be ready, to be ready, to stay awake, to be ready, to be ready for the return of the Lord, this emphasis is something that you and I should take very seriously. We shouldn't mess around with this. We can trust the accuracy of what he's saying. And so I have one point today, be ready, but I've divided it into four points. Be ready, you don't know when he comes. Be ready, he will come like the flood. Be ready, he will divide humanity at his coming. And be ready, he will come like a thief. Point one, be ready, you don't know when he comes. Verse 36, having noted the transition in the text already, it says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father. Only that day or hour, these words are used synonymously and are found in this chapter, meaning that the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to happen in a moment. It's going to be quick. 
It's going to be instant, as we learned already. It's going to be so obvious when he comes, it's going to be a, like a flash of lightning that goes from the east to the west. Everybody will know when it happens, and when it happens, it happens, and there's no going back from it. By then, it's too late. The word that day or hour does refer to the second coming and the final judgment of God in, in chapter 7, verse 22. And Jesus is emphatic that nobody knows. Nobody, know, nobody knows when this will happen. And he repeats himself again and again in this text. He says in verse 42, again, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And this is picking up on what happens in verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the, fa but the Father only. And so this concept of being ready, of staying awake, of not letting your guard down, of being vigilant, appears over and over again in our text. And so Jesus only needs to say something once for it to be true and binding. But when he repeats himself, you know he really wants you to get this point. And so if there is one application for you today, it's this. It's be ready. Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? When he returns in an instant and lights up the sky, will you be found in Christ? Because if you're not, by then it's too late. The minute you realize he's come, it's too late for you. So be ready for his coming. Be ready. So emphatic is he, in fact, of our lack of knowledge of his second coming. So emphatic is he, is that he says the angels in heaven don't even know. So these would be the angels that are in heaven at presently, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. Speaking of God's inner heavenly court. The angels that are present in God's court, God's divine messengers who serve God and live with Him in the heavenly realms. And God has chosen to repeat some things to His angels and reveal some things to His angels. It was His angels in heaven that announced the birth of our Lord. But there are some things that the angels don't even know. And God has chosen to not disclose those things to his angels who are surrounding him in his courts. And so obscure and hidden is this knowledge that the Lord has kept it from his inner courts, from his most faithful messengers who minister there in heaven. And in fact, the day or hour of our Lord is so unknown and such an enigma to us, we, we ought to be ready for it. But it's such an enigma to us, it's so mysterious that the Son doesn't even know. Do you see what he said there? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, the Father only. Now, this is speaking of Christ and his humanity. It, pre it presents us with a bit of a problem. Matthew doesn't feel the need to explain the problem, so we shouldn't feel the need to terribly explain it either, but it does present us with a bit of an issue because we believe in the Trinity. We believe in one God, one in essence, three distinct persons, each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each being equally God. 
And this is a mystery to us. And part of the essential nature of God is that He knows all things. He's omniscient. And so if the Father is God, part of His essential nature is He knows all things. If the Son is God, part of His essential nature is that He knows all things. If the Spirit is God, part of His essential nature is that He knows all things. And so if the essential nature of the Son is that He knows all things, then this text tells us that the Son doesn't know the date of His coming or the day of His coming, then we do enter into a little bit of a problem here. How can Christ be God and not know something? And Matthew doesn't tell us that. Matthew just leaves it as a mystery for us. It certainly doesn't mean that Christ gave up any aspects of His divine nature, even temporarily. He didn't. He didn't give up any aspects of His divine nature temporarily because God is unchanging. He doesn't give up His nature. And some answer this by saying He is ignorant in His humanity but not in His deity. I think that's a good answer that might explain it doesn't know in his humanity, but he does know in his deity. That makes sense to me. Louis Burkhoff, theologian, also said, he said, probably means that this knowledge was not included in the revelation which he as mediator had to bring, meaning that it wasn't part of his message. And when he says he doesn't know it, it's simply what he's not been charged to deliver. But either way, that somehow this is a mystery. Matthew doesn't feel the need to explain it, nor should we. We can simply affirm what the Bible says, and that is that the Son, part of His essential nature is deity, knows all things, but yet here He seems to emphasize that, at least in His humanity, He doesn't know the hour of His coming, but we ought to just let it rest and move on, as opposed to speculating endlessly into the deep things of God. Some things are a mystery. But the point is this. If the angels don't know the day, and if the Son doesn't know the day, then you and I don't know the day. That's the point. We need not distract from the emphasis of the text with endless speculation, and we need only say the point and the thrust is that if they don't know it, we sure don't know it. And if he's not willing to speculate it on it, we ought not be willing to speculate on it. And the point is, is there's a matter of urgency at hand because the second coming of Jesus Christ could happen at any time. Any time. It presents a problem to us as human beings because now we have to be on high alert for the return of our Master and be ready to give an account for Him at any moment. So be ready, because you don't know when He comes. You don't know. But beyond that, not only do you not know, but He tells us in what manner He will come, and He will come, what the, what the time of His coming will be like, it will be like the times of the flood during the days of Noah. So be ready, because He'll come like the flood, verse 37 through 39. But what it says, verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is there. Verse 37, 
For is where the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now this answers the question of verse 3, because this is the parousia of Christ. And in verse 3, he says, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? The parousia in verse 3. You know, he's getting into the answer now. He's getting into the answer, and the, the answer is simply just be ready for it. Because the coming of Christ is going to be like the days of Noah. Now, the book of Genesis tells us, as you probably know, of the history of Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. It seemed like an odd thing for Noah to do, to build an ark. But God told him to build an ark, and Noah obeyed. And the Bible also tells us not only did Noah obey by building an ark, but Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he called the people to repent, lest they perish in the flood. And Noah and his family, no one would listen to him. And Noah and his family entered the ark with male and female of every animal. And once they had safely entered the ark and they were secure within the ark, God shut and sealed the door of the ark. So that the ones who were walking with God by faith entered into the ark. Two of each animal, male and female, entered into the ark. And God shut the door of the ark and God sealed the ark. And then once the door of the ark was shut and the door of the ark was sealed, God flooded the earth and killed everyone on the outside. They didn't see it coming. They'd never seen anything like that. And, no, and only Noah and his family survived. And therefore, Jesus compares that flood in some way to the parousia, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And somehow, these two things are alike. The flood at the time of Noah and the second coming, the return of our Lord. They're alike. He compares them. But how are they alike? That's what we need to emphasize. People get all kinds of distractions here saying, well, they're alike in this way or they're alike in that way. Well, he tells us very specifically in verse 38, he says, For in those days before the ark, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. That's how it's alike. Is that when Christ returns, there's going to be a host of humanity who is caught off guard. They're not going to be expecting it. They're not going to be prepared for it. Many will likely even be within the church. Many will likely have been baptized and professed faith in one way or another without having truly been converted. And when the Lord Jesus finally returns in person, there's going to be a whole host of them, just like in the days of Noah, that were not ready. Just weren't ready. They hadn't heeded the words of Jesus Christ, and so they're caught off guard. The people won't expect it. It will catch them off guard, and then it will be too late. And just like the people who weren't ready in the days of Noah were carried off into the flood and drowned, so will they be carried off into the lake of fire and drowned in the lake of fire in that day. It'll be very similar in the sense that there will be a lot of people who are not ready. They're unprepared, and they're surprised, but by the time the surprise settles in and catches them, it's too late. Because by the time the people were on the outside of the ark, and they realized that the earth was flooding, and they realized that they were going to drown, by the time that happened, it was too late. There's no getting back in. I've heard it said before, I think this could even be true, we're speculating a little bit, but it could even be true, I think, that there, there would have been very likely claw marks on the outside of that ark. 
Once they realized that they weren't going to be touching solid ground again, and the bodies, people were treading water outside of that ark as the waters rose, there were likely claw marks, and they were likely pounding on the doors of that ark. Let me in, let me in, let me in. But God himself shut the door. And that's the way it's going to be on the day of judgment. And the day of judgment could happen at any moment. The Lord Jesus could return at any moment. And my question to you is, are you ready? Because you don't want to be one of the ones pounding on the door on the outside when it's too late. Are you ready? Be ready to meet your Christ. You notice what they're doing. It's, they're just at ease. It's, it's wild how at ease they are. It's just so normal, everything that's happening. They were eating, verse 38, and drinking. They were having a good time. They were feasting, having dinners with their families and having gatherings, and it was a party. Marrying, being given in marriage. So there's marriage celebrations. Families are being built. And all of the normalcy of life is being stretched out. And then in the normalcy of life, when they're living at ease, they're caught off guard and it's too late. Anytime you sit down and have a meal, and you're going to enjoy the meal, and please do enjoy the meal and be thankful to God Almighty for what He's provided for you. You should. But remember that they were simply eating and carrying on and having a good time in those days. And any time that you're at a wedding and you're celebrating, and please celebrate at weddings, they're glorious events. But just remember that those were going on in the days of Noah. And those will be going on at the second coming of our Lord. And His coming will be unexpected. There will be weddings. There will be feasting. There will be partying. And the people who are just carrying on at ease, at rest, with their environment, without a thought of heaven or hell, they're done. It happens in an instant. Matthew Henry, I thought, he said it so well. He said, security and sensuality are likely to be the epidemical diseases of the later days. It will be security and sensuality. People living at ease, having a good time without a care in the world. Trying to get their mind off of things, whether it's through entertainment or drugs catering to the flesh with porn, trying to set their minds on something other than the stresses of daily life as opposed to turning to the Lord, turning to the wickedness of this world. And there it is. It just catches them. And they didn't catch on, verse 39, and they were unaware. That, that phrase there, they were unaware, ought to really strike you. They were unaware. Are you aware? Are you aware of what is happening in our world? Are you aware of the day that all of this is leading to? Because everything that you see with your eyes and hear with your ears, everything is moving towards something. It's all going to a certain end. And you ought to be aware of that. And you don't know the end. Jesus says that the angels, the Son, don't know the end. Only the Father in heaven. So you sure don't know it. So don't try to guess. It could be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10,000 years from now. But when he comes, you must be ready. And they didn't catch on because they were unaware. And guess what happened when they were unaware? In a moment, they were swept away, it says. That's what the second coming will be like. 
They'll be swept away. So will be this coming of the Son of Man, says verse 39. Many, listen, this is an important point, I think. And I want you to think about this. Many people started coming to church during the turmoil of the last two years. Turmoil of the last two years settled people down. This happened after 9-11 too. People started coming to church. People will tell you that. And it's nothing like cataclysmic or upsetting events to drive people into the house of God. But I really hope as things settle down, that the relative peace and security that many of us will enjoy does not tempt us to lose our sense of urgency. It'd be very easy for you to have had a religious experience over these last few years because you were shaken from the inside out over what you saw unfolding before your very eyes, but then to lose your focus as things settle down and you begin to enjoy the relative freedom that you have and the shaking has seemed to at least quelled for a season. It would be a terrible thing to all of a sudden settle in as if the Lord Jesus will not return at any moment. And if this text tells us anything, it is that the parousia will occur when it's easy to not think about your soul. That's when it will occur. What does he say? They were unaware. It will occur when it's easy to not think about eternity. It won't occur. This is why they're not awake. This is why they've settled down. This is why they're at peace. Because it, it, it occurs at a time when it's easy to not think about eternity. And so as if you move into one of those times, and if we are moving into one of those times right now, make sure that even if it becomes easy to not think about eternity, that you're ready because he will come when it's easy to not think about eternity. It will be very easy to indulge the flesh. The return of Christ will occur when you think things are just fine without God. And the return of Christ will occur as you're thinking things that are just, you're thinking it's just fine to live without God and to be a functional atheist. You may not say you're an atheist in your heart, but you're living as a functional atheist. And it's just in that moment that you'll get run over. And then it'll be too late. Be ready. You don't know when he comes, and when he comes, he'll come like the flood. Be ready. Number three, be ready. He will separate close relations. When he returns, humanity will be divided forever between heaven and hell, the goats and the sheep, and with no hope of reconciliation between the division. It will never happen again. There'll be no reconciliation between the division. None. Verse 40 talks about division. Well, people are just, they're, they're carrying on normal things. Normal things. Just out working the ground in verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. They'll be out on the farm. They'll be working in the farm. They'll be working in the garden. You know, taking care of what needs to be done. And there'll be two that are out there. Maybe a father and a son. Our two brothers out there in the farm, and then one will be taken and one will be left. And the division in the family, like, it'll just, it'll just cut right down the middle and there'll be no reconciliation ever again. That's how sudden it will be. And the same thing, it says, of, of women. It says, verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. They'll be making flour. They'll be grinding flour. Maybe a mother and a daughter. Maybe two sisters. Maybe friends. Maybe colleagues. 
And there they are, they're just working away, minding their own business. You know, they punched in in the morning and they're going to punch out in the evening. But before the day is over, the world is forever changed and there's no going back and there'll be never reconciliation again between the two sides of humanity. Are you ready? There will be no opportunity after this is done. None. Unaware, swept away. These are describing the normal carryings on of life. It could easily say there will be a group of children in the classroom and one will be taken and one will be left. Or there will be a company of people in the car driving and one will be taken and one will be left. Or there will be a group of people in the church listening to a sermon and one will be taken and one will be left. Get the point? It's an irreconcilable division that lasts forever. This will be an eternal separation. Now some need to comment theologically, want to read the rapture into this. Now notice it doesn't say how they're taken and how they're left. It doesn't say that. It just says one will be taken and one will be left. That's all it says. We don't even know what taken and left means. Maybe the left ones are the good ones and the taken ones are the bad ones. They're taken to judgment. You don't know. He just says one will be taken and one will be left. I suspect this is referring to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, where it talks about when Christ returns, the church is raptured up into the clouds with Christ to immediately return in the final judgment. I suspect that's what it's referring to. But it certainly doesn't say it happens before the tribulation. It just says one will be taken and one will be left. So don't read more into this than that's here. And it's a sense of urgency because after this happens, there's no going back. There's not seven years to repent after it is what I'm trying to say. It happens and it's done. The emphasis is on the irreparable division that humanity will experience and the division will be forever. Look, and maybe you're an unconverted husband living with your converted wife. At this point in time, it will be over. She will go to heaven and you will go to hell and she will no longer hear her prayers for you and you will no longer find comfort in the fact that she is hoping that you get saved. You will go to hell and she will go to heaven. Don't ever forget that. Or maybe you're a child, unconverted, living under your parents' roof. You will no longer take comfort in the fact that your parents are hoping you're converted. And you know that your mother is just, she's waiting for you to be converted. She's living for that day when you profess faith. And there's something in you that enjoys that. Those days will be over. Because one will be taken and one will be left. You have a brother or a sister who has pled for you with your, for your soul. And then it will be over. Be done. Never a chance again, never a chance to be reconciled to your family or to be reconciled to God. Are you converted? Because this is very important. Verse 42 says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. I believe this is actually going to be picked up again in verse 46 with an illustration of a master coming to visit his servant, and I think this is what it's referring to, but nevertheless, the point is, are you ready? Because you don't know when he comes. 
He will come like a flood, and when he comes, he will separate humanity. Finally, be ready because he will come like a thief. The urgency is being heightened in our text today. It's being heightened. The reason, if you go to this final point, the reason homes are successfully robbed is because homeowners don't expect it. Has someone ever broken into your home? Well, it's because you didn't expect it. If you had expected it, you would have made sure that someone or something was ready to prevent it from happening. Verse 43 says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Now, this, of course, goes back to the flood, and that is that people just didn't expect it. I mean, this is what I'm trying to emphasize here, is this happens when it's easy not to believe, when it's easy not to walk with Jesus Christ, when it's easy not to think about eternity, when all is well with you. It's at the moment of weakness when this is going to happen. Things are just fine. Yesterday was the same as the day before, the same as the day before, the same as the day before, the same as there's been no disruptions. Why wouldn't today be any different? And then, boom, it's done. It changes. This could have been said of any undesirable event, really. The point is that Christ will return when you're most likely to have your guard down. And so he concludes this, this in verse 44 with the word, word, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. See, this is, the emphasis is be ready. Now, some come to the Lord. I've seen this. They they come to the Lord and profess faith in Christ when they're going through a personal crisis. I've seen this so many times. But then they drift away when things go well. To them, God is genie in the bottle. He gets them out of their crisis, and then they don't need him anymore. Those people will not be ready. If that's you, you will not be ready on the day of judgment. As I've noted already, some come to the Lord when there's a crisis in the world, and this has happened in the last few years, but... But then they drift away when things settle down. And I wonder, I wonder, I hope you just didn't come to the Lord for some type of existential comfort while the world was shaking, but you were sincerely converted. And then, uh, otherwise, it will be revealed when it's easy to be at ease and you don't have to think about eternity anymore. And then it'll be too late. And some, by the way, they, they just get distracted. They lose focus. They, it becomes about making money or pursuing sports or entertaining themselves, finding success, whatever that means. But they just, they, there's things of this earth that are causing them not to think of the things to come. And so they're not ready. But this text tells us, what do we need to do? We need to be ready. The Lord Jesus is returning. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you trusted in his atonement? Are you justified by faith? Are you ready? Have you been converted? Because you don't know when he comes, and when he comes, it will be like the flood, and he will separate humanity, and he will come like a thief in the night. So if you take one thing away from this sermon, it's this. Be ready for the coming of our Lord. 